The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night, the fifth day of December 2021. Our engineer, Brian Graves, ever vigilant at the helm right across the way here. We've got a great show up ahead for you tonight. In the leadoff spot, we'll welcome in baseball writer of association member, Esteemed writer for the Newark Star-Ledger, Bob Klappish. We'll talk Hall of Fame. And, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't heard, it's a great night in Cooperstown. It's a great night in Brooklyn. It's a great night in Indiana, his home state. Gil Hodges is a Hall of Famer. In the number two slot, we'll talk to the EVP of the New York Riptide, Rich Lisk. Uh, I was out at the old barn last night for the Riptide's home opener, and uh, we really had a great time. They they uh, have a great uh, thing going out there at the Coliseum. So settle in, get comfortable, enjoy Sports Talk New York tonight on GVB. As always, great stuff up ahead for you tonight. I'd like to mention social media, as I do every week. We're out there on Facebook. Give us a look and give us a like. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk is where we are at on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Donahue, WGBB. And if you miss a show, don't worry, because they're all archived out on the website. Listen to them when you have time. Well, this gentleman, he's a sports writer for the Newark Star-Ledger. He's previously written for The Times, The Post, ESPN, Fox Sports, and The Daily News. He's written six books about baseball, including the New York Times bestseller, Inside the Empire, the true power behind the New York Yankees. He's been a voting member of the Baseball Writers Association of America since 1983. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show tonight Bob Clappish. Bob, good evening. Good evening, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It's great for you to step in. I appreciate it, Bob. Now, uh, you you went to Columbia, which not all of us can can uh, claim. You played baseball there, and you wrote for the newspaper in Columbia. How is it writing for a daily college paper? I know at my uh, state school we had a weekly paper. We thought that was great, but a daily newspaper that must have been a challenge to get out every day. Uh, it was. It was like it was the best training I could have ever had for yeah. what I was eventually going to do. I mean, with. I was at the, uh, the Columbia Spectator offices every night, and I, I have to say that my work there, my time and commitment there came at the expense of some of my grades, but honestly, it, it prepared me in a way that no, uh, no academic, no other, no other way could have. I mean, I had a chance to go to graduate school at Columbia, which is, you know, Columbia J School is, um, the journalism school is unparalleled, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of its reputation and the quality of students, it turns out. But when I went for an interview, uh, they told me, look, you have experience uh, at the Spectator. There's really nothing we can teach you that you don't already know. So I felt like, uh, you know, coming out of college, I was ready to go. And, um, you know, I spent a year or two at the Post. That was my first job covering college basketball in the area, St. John's, Manhattan, um, 
FDU, and when my when the time came to to give the the young writer, the youngest writer on the staff, a chance to cover baseball, I was I I couldn't I couldn't say yes fast enough because between baseball and newspapers, those were my two passions growing up, and this mm-hmm. was to me a dream job sitting in the press box at Yankee Stadium. Exactly, that uh, is a great 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 start for you, Bob. That's for sure. Now, want to get right into the Hall of Fame. As I uh, alluded to earlier, the Golden Days Era Committee and the Early Baseball Era Committee met down in Orlando today. And uh, the 16 candidate, uh, 16 member committee uh, of each committee uh, elected six new Hall of Famers. If folks haven't heard yet, of course, Gil Hodges finally makes it to the Hall of Fame. Jim Cott, uh, Minnie Minoso. Buck O'Neill, Bud Fowler, and I, I keep forgetting the last member of, of the, uh, Golden, Golden Days Committee. Can you help me out, Bob? Let's see, uh, Minoso, Hodges, Cott. Right. Minoso, Hodges, Cott, Oliva, Tony Oliva. Oliva, Tony Oliva, yeah, he, he's been on our program, a, a, a really great man. Uh, give us your impression on those four guys that they brought in. To me, Bob, Almost uh, everyone on on that uh, Golden Days era committee was electable. Yeah, and you know it's a, it's an entirely different uh, process than the one that the active players um, go through. And yeah, it's you know, and it, you know I'm glad I don't have to serve on that on that committee. You know, there's a couple of writers right now, a couple of my my peers that serve mm-hmm. on this committee. I think they want to balance it with some historians, former players, present day writers. Um, but it's just hard for – I can't imagine really having to judge the career of Minnie Minosa or Tony Oliva since I, I never really knew them. I never really got to play, watch them play, mm-hmm. certainly before my time. I try, but I, I, I can speak to the emotional attachment, for instance, that uh, Gil Hodges had with the New York Mets community and how many fans, how many, how many fans around New York were waiting for this day. And I think it's a great thing. I mean, look, all, like you said – all these players are on the ballot because they were great. Right. There was a level of greatness to each one of them, and there's no argument against any of them. So I was always fascinated as to why it took Gil Hodges so long. I mean, he had a great career. He was a great man. You know, he was the manager of the team of one of the greatest upsets in baseball history in 1969 with the Mets. And to me, he checked every box. So every year it would be more and more fascinating to me as to why he was being kept out. I think it's, a, it's just a great thing. You know, and whether it's coincidence or not, the fact that he's he's being elected now in a lockout uh, when baseball really needs good publicity. I mean, everything about the game right now is negative or it's depressing. You know, it's True. a downer. The, the, the cynicism towards the powers that be, towards the commissioner's office, towards the union, from the rank and file, from average fans, is so great now. And it gets worse every year, the feeling that baseball has abandoned its the ticket buyers. So for something like this to be announced, to have Gil Hodges finally elected, it's just a breath of fresh air to me. Certainly is, Bob. I agree with you 100. percent And what I had heard previously from uh, a Hall of Famer or two was that the splendid Splinter himself was behind uh, leaving some of the Brooklyn Dodgers off uh, the ballot or or away from the Hall of Fame as he kind of thought that there were too many members of the Brooklyn Dodgers in there already and that's kind of uh, 
I think that's very short-sighted if, if that's the case. I mean, this is a man who fought to get Bobby Doerr in the Hall of Fame, who to me is, is marginal at best. And at the time of his passing or the time that he uh, left the committee that he served on, the Veterans Committee, was trying to get Dominic DiMaggio in the Hall of Fame. So, as you say, I don't know what, what uh, held people up with Gil Hodges all this time, but uh, as I said earlier, it, it, it's a jubilant night in New York. A, a lot of people I see on social media really celebrating the, the life of Gil. And uh, as we said... Well, you know, let, me, let me just interject there, because you make a great point. Go ahead. Because uh, I've heard that, too. I mean, Ted Williams is one of the reasons... I mean, one of the reasons that that Gil Hodges had to wait so long, and yeah, because of this, because of a prejudice against the Brooklyn Dodgers. And you know, people have often asked me, why do writers get to vote on the Hall of Fame? Shouldn't it be the players who know the sport best, who are the experts in the craft, and have seen these uh, their peers up close and in personal? Well, sure. In some ways, they're more qualified than anybody. But you allow personal feelings and sometimes prejudice to to guide their votes. And to say right. that Gil Hodges didn't belong in the Hall of Fame because too many other Dodgers had already been inducted, that's just unfair. That's I mean, that's, right. you yeah. need somebody more objective and doesn't have a bigotry towards Gil Hodges or any of the Brooklyn Dodgers or anyone. You want to judge someone strictly on the merits of, of their career. I mean, Not on how many people on the same team have preceded them. Exactly, Bob. I don't want to pick on the guy. Uh, uh, enough people do that already, but Bill Mazeroski, uh, a Hall of Famer. People say that Joe Brown, the owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates, who who stood on that Veterans Committee for many years, is the reason that Maz is in there. And uh, he, he's really famous for one home run, and, and right. th that's a shame. But uh, th that's a story right. for another day, Bob. Let, let's get to the writer's vote coming up uh, uh, January 25th, I believe it is, and uh, the folks are going to be elected uh, elected, I mean inducted into the Hall of Fame on July 24th at Cooperstown if everything uh, holds together. There are a couple of guys debuting on the ballot this year, among them Carl Crawford, Prince Fielder, Ryan Howard, uh, Papelbon, Przinsky. Any of these guys electable to you? The ones you just mentioned? No. Yeah, no. Uh, probably not. And certainly not first ballot. And let me let me start this by saying, to me, the Hall of Fame balloting, uh, there are tiers within those who are good enough to get elected. Uh -huh. You have guys who are a slam dunk, first ballot, and don't even merit a debate, like Mariano Rivera. Right. I mean, obviously, he gets in, and there's no, there's no argument against him. Derek Jeter, obviously, he's the first ballot guy. And then you have guys who, who take a couple of years for their candidacies to evolve and for different perspectives to emerge, and they get in the fifth or sixth year. And some guys need every last year of eligibility to get in. Like Jim Rice didn't get in until the very last year. And there's a reason for that. Some guys are better than others. Within the whole mm -hmm. thing, some are the cream of the crop, the, the best of the best, and others are just Cooperstown worthy, which is obviously still, obviously still great. But what you ask me now, the players that you mentioned, are they first ballot Hall of Famers? The answer would be no. No, exactly. Now, why do they even bother, Bob, putting uh, Joe Nathan on the ballot, uh, he he's never get, the only way he he'll get into Cooperstown is with a ticket, like they say. Uh, why bother putting a guy like that? Uh, all due respect, but they they really don't belong on a Hall of Fame ballot. No, they don't. But uh, they you, know, you play a certain number of years, and you achieve a certain number, a certain a certain level of achievement, 
And, you know, they have, you have to put somebody on the ballot. You can't just pick and choose who you want uh, because that in itself would be would be too subjective. But, you know, guys who played and met, met a certain, certain threshold statistically in a number of years of service are going to be on, really with no real ex- expectation they're going to ever get elected or even get 5% of the vote. But, you know, you do have to fill out the ballot to, to give it some girth and give uh, voters a, some choices. Compelling names this year coming up, Bob. David Ortiz and A-Rod Alex Rodriguez. What do you think? I think we could probably spend the next 20 minutes talking about <laughs> those two. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so much is, has been written and will be written until, up until the point of the election and will continue to be written. Um, you know, I mean, we're talking about the whole era of steroids. This is the first year that we really had to discuss whether or not steroid users belong or they don't belong. And there's no right answer. Let's, let's, let's make that clear. Okay. Everyone has a different interpretation of what cheating is, right? And whether or not it hurts their careers or hurts their legacies, whether or not it's a disqualifier in itself, whether or not you use circumstantial evidence to disqualify the candidate, or whether or not you need hard evidence like a conviction or a positive test. So any way we go in this, okay, every answer is correct. Everything is allowable in this discussion. Okay, that said, mm-hmm. I probably will vote for Ortiz first ballot. Okay. Because whatever he may or may not have been done, he never tested positive um, during the time that baseball had banned steroids. Whatever was discovered about him or hinted about him or thought about him came prior to 2004. Okay, now we take that same argument to uh, A-Rod's candidacy. Now, he has confessed twice to using steroids in two different eras of his career, between 2001 and 2003 with the Texas Rangers. He confessed to using, saying he had just signed that $252 million contract with Texas as a young player out of Seattle, and he felt pressure. He found enormous pressure to live up to, to that standard, to that expectation. He took steroids because I guess he was insecure about his talent. Now, you can say, okay, he did it. He confessed. And it was before baseball started cracking down, and he deserves a second chance. He deserves clemency in the eyes of the voters. That argument, I could see. I could see possibly considering A-Rod as a candidate based on that uh, on that defense alone. However, and to me, this is the big point, A-Rod also confessed to using steroids again later in his career between 2011 and 2013 when he was a Yankee and when the clear, clearly the rules were now in place, you get caught cheating, you're going to get suspended. This is prohibited. Steroids are no longer allowed in the game. Do it at your own risk, but if you get caught, too bad. You're really going to suffer a severe consequence. And mm-hmm. he did it anyway. He took a shot, he got caught, and there was no defense. And he knew that if he didn't confess at that point, if you remember, that was when the biogenesis scandal was raging. Right. And A-Rod was going to get prosecuted. And he, he walked into a conference room full of federal prosecutors and investigators demanding that he testify against Anthony Bosch, who ran the biogenesis uh, lab. And they said, Alex, if you don't tell us the truth, you're going to go to jail, just like Bosch. We're going to get Bosch one way or another. So you either cooperate or you don't cooperate. It's up to you. And ultimately, A-Rod confessed. Mm-hmm. Now, that they granted him immunity for that confession. He avoided any other legal trouble from the feds. But it didn't protect him from a year suspension from Bud Steele. So to me, to me, that confession of having used steroids after it was expressly prohibited by baseball 
That to me is a disqualifier. That's why I can't vote for him. Because he cheated. He knew he had cheated. He got caught. And then proceeded to lie about it for the next five years. Right. He lied and lied and lied and lied. He lied. He sued Major League Baseball. He sued the Yankees position, Christopher Ahmad. He sued his own players' union, his own peers, his own buddies at the Players Association. Sued everybody, even though he knew he was guilty, claiming he was a victim of a witch hunt. And to me, that's pathological. I mean, you got to be crazy. I mean, there's got to be something wrong with you to... So after you've been caught, you know, you knew you were wrong. You knew you were going to get caught, and still you not only deny it, you were suing the people who were accusing you. Great point. So to me, he doesn't belong. He doesn't belong in. Yeah, great points all, Bob. Bob Clappish with us tonight on the program. Does Schilling go in this year? Uh, I've been voting for him. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to get in. I mean, I, I, to me, um, you know, his opinions are his opinions. He's not a nice guy. You know, he's crazy. Right. But that's not that's not what we're voting on. The Hall of Fame is full of crazy people, lousy guys, bad guys, who are great ball players. So there's precedent there for 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 recognizing talent alone, talent. And I think Schilling is deserving of it. You know, people say, "Oh, well, you know, look at look at what he supports, look at what he's really all about, look at the causes that he's behind." I don't care. It's a free country. He's entitled to his opinion. If he doesn't, if he hasn't committed a crime. Then I don't. I discount all of that. I just look at, it, at his numbers and his contributions as a ball player. To me, they're worthy of Cooperstown. Okay, great, great points there too, Bob. Uh, the famous twosome, the famous steroid twosome of Bonds and Clemens. What do you think? Yes and yes. Uh, I okay. think they're getting. Well, no. I'm, I, are you asking me if I voted for them? Yes, both. Mm-hmm. Do I think they're going to get in? Eh, I don't know. I thought they would have been a lot closer by now. They're in the you know the high fifties, and they should have been in the seventy percent bracket. To, to have a realistic chance. I don't know if they're going to make it, but I'll explain my thinking on both. Neither one has ever was ever suspended by baseball. Both of them went through their entire careers in good standing. And to me, that's a big, big part of it, is that the, that Bonds claimed he used steroid cream um, at the time before it was outlawed. And Roger Clemens said he never used it. He testified before Congress that he never cheated, he never used, and he was cleared of all charges. So... My point is, if the feds think that you're clean and the commissioner has never, never suspended you, has never taken action against you, then it's not up to me to play pharmacist or prosecutor. That's not my job. If he's passed that standard, then it's good enough for me. I mean, and I don't care about the size of Barry Bond's skull or whether or not Roger Clemens had back acne. That's all anecdotal and circumstantial, unless I have a positive test or disciplined by Major League Baseball or a confession, I'm going to have, I'm going to evaluate a player strictly by his numbers. That's what I think my job is as a baseball writer and as a voter. And in this, in this case, between Clemens and Bonds, I voted yes to both. Understand you 100% on those, Bob, that's for sure. Now, two guys uh, I think should be in. Uh, it, it's, it's really a long shot for both of them, though. We got the hit king who probably makes more money in Cooperstown when he's not in the Hall of Fame than if he gets elected, uh, signing autographs. And the, the, the legend, will the ghost of Shoeless Joe Jackson ever make it through those portals? Are you talking about Pete Rose, right? Yes. Yes, sir. Well, you know, my position has always been Pete does belong in, but he did some bad things along the way. Right. So I'm going to compromise and 
write his name in uh, after he passes away. Um, so that his legacy, he will. I will award his legacy, reward his legacy, but not during the course of his lifetime. His his family uh, will be able to enjoy that status, but not Pete himself. I just thought that the gambling. Uh, on the games that he was managing was such a violation of the game's ethics and so morally wrong that I have a hard time letting it go. And, you know, I must say I've, 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 I've softened in that. You know, I could see myself maybe one year doing it. I guess as I get older, I'm just getting more and more tolerant of these things. But mm-hmm. honestly, my, my first, my, my first verdict was that I can't, I can't vote for him while he's alive. I mean, he really did a terrible thing and, <laughs> Excuse me, and his his confessions and his apologies came way too late, and they sounded way too way too insincere for me to do a complete reversal on them. So I will vote. It's just not yet, not now. Understood, understood. Now, uh, taking a broad step back, Bob, look at looking at the class of twenty twenty two. Who do you see standing up on the podium uh, ne- next summer? Uh, that's that's a great question. I I could see you know maybe Bonds and Clemens maybe. Wow. Okay. But you know there's maybe. I mean you know I'm just saying maybe. I could I could see Schilling breaking through. Right. I think there's a lot of people you know who feel that um, politics should be left out of the decision making process. Right. As we said exactly. I mean, right. Uh, Omar Vizquel has lost a lot of votes. Gary Sheffield. I don't think it's going to get close enough. Manny Ramirez, what a great player, but, you know, he tested positive twice also, so he's never going to get in. I, You know, it's very possible we're not going to get anybody. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, uh, I think the the debate is going to be centered so much on, on A-Rod and Ortiz and Bonds and Clemens that when all is said and done, when the smoke clears, we may not have anybody this I, year. This, I've this thought year. about that, you know, Bob, yeah. Right? I mean, the players you mentioned, the newcomers, None of them are first ballot slam dunks. None. The ones who are deserving are steeped in controversy. They may fall short. I'd say of the group, maybe, maybe Schilling has the best shot. He's getting close. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's so much has happened in this country politically since the last ballot in the year. And we're so divided. And the dialogue is so overheated. I could see, you know, enough people saying no to Schilling based on politics alone. But he doesn't make it either. So, yeah, we could be talking about this two months from now, wondering what the heck happened to this ballot. Nobody got in. It's very possible. If he does get elected, Bob, that, that's going to be a speech to uh, look forward to. I'll <laughs> tell you that, right? And if you, <laughs> yeah, if you remember, he asked the Hall of Fame to remove his name from the ballot. I don't even right. know if he's going to accept the award. Yeah, right. And, you know, and I wrote a whole column about saying, look, you know, Kurt, it's not your decision. You know, I mean, if you really hate the institution that much, you should have said so long ago. Right. I mean, now don't that, drag you know, us through this. Really, <laughs> right. I mean, you know, now that he's he's gotten close and you know he's realized that he's made a lot of enemies. He may not break through because of the of his politics. Now he wants to be taken off as a little kid who can't get his way. So he's going to take his ball and go home. Right. <laughs> um, no, it doesn't work that way. It's uh, it's not for him to decide who's in and who's out or who's on the ballot and who's not. But. Um, I'm curious that if he does get elected, whether or not, A, he'll even accept the award, whether whether or not he'll show up at Cooper's tent. And if he does, what is he going to say? I mean, is it going to be a political speech? Is he going to soften his stance and thank everybody? Or is he going to lash out at the writers and the hall and, 
use it as a forum to expose his political views. I hope not. Oh, man. But you never know. I mean, he's a loose cannon. Um, but, look, the bottom line is, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. He's going to get my vote. Gotcha. All right. Well, Bob Clappish, a real pleasure. Thanks for stepping in tonight and uh, pinch hitting for Ozzie Smith and Rod Carew, who are probably painting Orlando beige down there, having, <laughs> having a hell of a night. Uh, it's great to have you on with us, and I thank you for spending some time with us out here on Long Island. Well, thank you for having me on. It was great, and uh, let's do it again in the future. Will do, Bob. I'll stay in touch. Okay, great. That's Bob Clappish, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we welcome in the great Rich Lisk from the New York Riptide, our indoor lacrosse team. Stick around, folks. See what I did there? Stick. Stick. All right. Yeah, enough. Here we go. <laughs> Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Country Foot Care, official podiatrists of the New York Lizards, have been delivering state-of-the-art foot care with good old-fashioned caring to Long Island residents for over 30 years. Specialists in sports medicine and foot injuries, Country Foot Care can be reached at 516-741-FEET or online at countryfootcare.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gustbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit Gustbuster.com and get your Gustbuster today. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We're back with Sports Talk New York here on WGBB. Well, it was a big week for the Mets. Uh, they introduced... The latest members of the family, of course, Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canna, and, of course, Mad Max himself, the future Hall of Famer Max Scherzer. Uh, if, if you haven't heard yet, tonight's committee elections to the Baseball Hall of Fame, Gil Hodges, finally, amen, makes it through the portals of Cooperstown, along with Jim Cott, Tony Oliva, and Minnie Minoso, and... From the early days committee, the great Buck O'Neill and Negro Leaguer Buck Fowler. So, excuse me, Bud Fowler uh, makes it to Cooperstown. Well, let's keep the sports talk rolling right along here. This gentleman, he's the president of the New York Riptide, our indoor lacrosse team. They play their games at the Nassau Coliseum. Uh, he comes to Long Island here with a rich resume. On, in the sports management world, it's a pleasure to welcome to the show tonight, Rich Lisk. Rich, good evening. Good evening, Bill. How are you doing? Marvelous, marvelous. And uh, I got to tell you, 
My wife and I had a great time out at the old barn last night. Well, it was our pleasure having you out there, and it was our pleasure to host you, and I, and I hope we were able to entertain you. It was a pretty good game. Yeah, uh, you guys uh, are doing the right thing out there. You, I tell you, between uh, the the music, the kids' activities, um, Mr. Cosell, my friend behind the microphone, he did a great job as well. And uh, one thing it, it took me by surprise, Rich, is, as I said, the music uh, goes on during play which I didn't expect at all. And uh, it, it really moves things along. Um, where else can you hear She's a Lady by Tom Jones? <laughs> and, of course, follow it up with the theme from Benny Hill. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, loved, I loved it. It was marvelous. We're trying, to be, we're trying to be something for everybody. You know, it's one of the unique parts of our sport is that it's been from the, our sport's 35 years old, and uh, right. that, that's been right a staple from the very beginning. They've always played music over, throughout the whole game, so it's, it's fun and exciting. And, and I give our DJ, DJ Razor, a lot of credit. He keeps the crowds entertained. It's, uh, it's like being at a wedding but a really hyped-up wedding on steroids. And there you go, because the chicken dance we heard last night too, Rich. So there's the, there's the wedding right there, right? <laughs> we give up, we're trying to give something to everybody. <laughs> yep. Now, uh, the, the Riptide were founded in 2019, but because of COVID, of course, everything gets pushed back. This is the inaugural season. You guys really own the Coliseum now cause with the Islanders moving to Elmont. Uh there was a flag I didn't recognize hanging from the rafters at the Coliseum. You had the American flag, and what was the the other? There's a tricolored flag up there. Who does that belong to? That's a good question. And yeah. I, didn't get a chance <laughs> I thought it was that. Mexican. I, I don't know. There's one up there for Billy Joel. Right. I know there's one up there for the Grateful Dead. Right. I know there's the American flag. The Islanders took all the other flags. They took We're theirs and to went put home. A flag or banner up there. We just haven't been able to do it yet. So I don't know what the other one is, but now, oh, you know what? There's one up there for Julius Irving. Right, yeah, and, but I'm, um, I'm talking about a national flag, Rich. It's next to the oh. American flag, and uh, I just well, didn't know what it is. I'm going to have to try to look it up, and I'll, I'll uh, see what I come up with and get back to you. On and that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the Coliseum tomorrow and look it up and go up there. Take a look at it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. see what you, see what you can send me. Now, uh, Absolutely. give us a little bit about your resume in, in the sports management business. I know you've done a lot, and uh, I want to let the folks know that uh, you're extremely qualified for this position. Well, I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, I graduated uh, at Rutgers University way back in the 90s. And um, I, right out of school, I went and worked for the World Wrestling Federation. I was with those guys at the WWF, not WWE, WWF for right. five years. And I was a promoter on the road. and and would travel the country with the wrestlers and put on shows. And then when I left there, I went and worked for uh, the parent company of the Philadelphia Flyers and, and, and was the marketing manager for the Wells Fargo Center and the Spectrum when they first opened up. And then um, they start, we started a minor league hockey team in Trenton, New Jersey, called the Trenton Titans. And mm -hmm. I went there as their uh, vice president of marketing and sales and rose up to be the assistant GM. And then the president and GM left, and I took over as the president and GM and, 2003, we, 2005, I'm sorry, we won a championship and then I moved on and became the GM of the Philadelphia Soul with Ron Jaworski and Bon Jovi and ah, was there for yeah. three years and we won a championship. We actually beat the New York Dragons in the, in the champion, in the, the, the Eastern Division Championship to go to the championship against the San Jose Sabercats in 2008 and, uh, 
we won a we won the world championship there in New Orleans, and then the whole league folded. And I started my own sports marketing company for 15 years, and uh, I hooked up with the Philadelphia Wings and became their COO and GM. And then we got sold to the Mohegan Sun Casino, and I was the GM of the New England Black Wolves for six years. And then GF Sports called me and said, "Well, you want to come over here and uh, and work on all of our sports properties and, and and be the president of the Riptide." And I came here about I came here. In January of 19, January of 20, I believe it was, right before the pandemic, mm-hmm. and we shut down in March. We only played six games at home and, and only 12 games total, and then everything shut down, and we've been off for 18-plus months. So we've been putting things in place for to, to restart. So like you said before, it's really like our inaugural season. We really didn't yeah. play much that first year. Well, you started off with a bang. Now, you have a homegrown kid on the team, don't you? We have Kieran McCardle. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kieran McCardle's our one of our lefty forwards. He's from Ronkonkoma, and uh, and Kieran's done a really good job because the sport is mainly Canadians. About eighty five percent Canadians on our team, and uh, Kieran, a few years ago, wanted to learn the indoor game. So the team in Toronto called him to go up there. They had a few injuries, so they called him to go up there, and he went up there for a couple months and learned the game, made their team, and then in the expansion draft when this team started. They did not protect him in Toronto, so uh, we were able to pick him up in the expansion draft, and he's been a he's been great for us. Great, well, maybe we'll get to talk with him down the road. Now, absolutely. Each, each night at home, Rich, we got Rich Lisk from the Riptide with us tonight. Is a specific promotional night, and uh, tell sure. us a little bit about some of those. Yeah, so last night was our opening night. Again, we've had 18 months off to get this thing going, and we have a great local partner in Orland and Cohen. Orland and Cohen is our medical partner, and uh, they were tremendous. They were with us our first year. They signed on again for another couple of years, and uh, really they keep us on the field and keep us going, but they're also off the field. They're great promotional partners with us. We uh, They signed on to be the presenting sponsors of last night with Orland and Cohen. We also have a couple of other nights. We have a hometown heroes game coming up where we're going to wear uniforms that look like hospital scrubs with a Superman cape on the back. Oh, nice. And uh, we're going to auction them off for charity, and the charity is through Orlin and Cohen with St. Jude's Hospital. We're going to give the proceeds to them on that. We have a another night and then another night with Orlin and Cohen. Also, we have our health and wellness fair that we're going to do later on in the, in the year. And then we're working with um, the Boomer Siasen Foundation and West Hampton Beach Brewing Company, where we're going to have a night that our proceeds go to the Cystic Fibrosis and the Boomer Siasen Foundation. We have Wax Out Cancer Night. And then the next big night here is, is next week, this week coming up. There, there's no rest for the weary. We did opening night last night. We have a week to prepare for our next game. So the guys are flying from Toronto basically into Philadelphia, and Friday night we play in Philadelphia and then after the game, we're going to bus home. We have Saturday off. And then Sunday at 3 o'clock, we're going to be having our family fun extravaganza where uh, it's going to be like our, our holiday show, family show. We're going to play at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. we got a family four-pack for four tickets, four sodas, four hot dogs, four bags of chips for $99. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun family things to do there. So, uh, again, there's no rest for the weary. We get one under our belt, and we're running for the next one. Gotcha. Yeah, the, folks, the, the Riptide really uh, market themselves, I'll say, towards families and kids because, as we know, lacrosse is such a growing sport on Long Island with, with, with the younger 
generation. And, uh, a lot of kids out at the game last night. There's a lot for them to do. Before we get to that, uh, Rich, I'd like to ask you, uh, are you guys still partnering with West Hampton Brewing? Yes, yeah. yes. We partnered with West Hampton Beach Brewing Company. We created that Riptide Double IPA. Nice. Um, I was <laughs> excited to say last night, um, it debuted at the arena. We got the, we got the pouring rights for them to pour in the arena. So last night in our sandbar, which is the end of the arena there, we kind of cleared out some seats and we made a fun, um, carnival-like atmosphere down there that we call the sandbar. And right. Exclusively in the sandbar, we're selling Riptide Double IPA and proceeds of that sale helps us, um, helps us with the Bloomer Esiason Foundation. That's good stuff, folks. Riptide IPA. Head down, uh, to, to your local beverage, uh, center. See if they carry that. If they don't, request that they do. It, it's really some good beer. And, and, uh, I can attest to that. Uh, the guys, uh, <laughs> sent me some of that and, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, I want to ask you, Rich, stuff. who designed the uniforms and, and who concocted the team colors? Because sure. to me, the uniforms look like the Fisherman era Islander jerseys with the, with the uh, orange and the teal, and uh, I I didn't never thought that the fisherman jerseys were that bad. Uh, I I like them as a matter of fact, and I I think there there uh, there is a renaissance towards the fisherman jerseys because they wear them uh, on special nights and they auction these things off. They go for thousands. So oh, tell us about yeah. the the uniforms and and who devised them. Sure, sure. You know, there is some similarities to that uniform, which yeah. I think is great. It really links us to Long Island. Our ownership group is a group consisted of Gary Furman, Eric Baker, and Hank Ratner. And, and Eric Baker um, really works a lot with us on, on this. So Eric Baker, and they had a person that works for the parent company called Tyler Brenneman. Tyler grew up on Long Island in the Hamptons, played lacrosse, uh, went on to play at Notre Dame. So Tyler was the lacrosse guy. So Tyler and Eric really got together before any of us were here and uh, came up with the name. They had focus groups and everything, go through everything, came up with the name, came up with the colors, came up with the logo. And then uh, that was, and it went really well in the focus groups and it really tied us into Long Island. Those colors are mm-hmm. synonymous with Long Island. Riptide is synonymous with the ocean. So it just made sense to, uh, to put it all together. And I, I love it because, um, when I got here to help market the team, that was one of the things that drew me to it. I'm a big beach guy. I surf and things like that. Mm-hmm. Love to live near the water. So to be able to, to have a, a passion for it, plus then I get the market, um, something that uh, also plays off of that, it, it's a really special thing for me. Yeah, that, that's a great job the way you guys uh, came up with the name and, and the logo and all that. We're speaking with uh, Riptide President Rich Lisk tonight on the program. The mascot, Eddie. It's spelt, folks, E-D-D-Y. And if you look that up, you're going to find that that's a circular movement of water counter to a main current, of course, causing a small whirlpool. And that's Eddie's name. And uh, I thought that was pretty clever, too. That's his persona. If you yeah. see him throughout the game, he's always moving. He's always swirling. He's always a uh, counter movement to us. Um, he's really, it, it's fun, it's a fun character for us to have. The kids really like it. He's a very good lacrosse player too. He plays goalie, so, uh, he can stop the ball, but he's the master of entertainment. Yeah. I, I say he's kind of like, uh, 
I, I like to say, like, Colin Cosell is like Jimmy Fallon and then <laughs> Conan O'Brien in our thing, and Eddie and, and Eddie and DJ Razor and our MC in the crowd and the Breakers and the Riptide Dancers are kind of like his supporting crew, and they're putting on a, they're putting on a big show every night. Exactly. And then we go downstairs to, to field level, and we have the, the whole area that, that's, uh, really uh, kid centric, as I said earlier, with with uh, bouncing games and uh, sure. that mechanical surfboard, Rich man, <laughs> that's crazy. It's uh, like I, I I recount it to people. It's like uh, riding the bull in in bars. Only only it's a surfboard, and if you could stay on that thing for a while, you're good. Absolutely. I mean, where else can you go on Long Island to catch a lacrosse game? Hear constant music. Get good entertainment, and you get to ride a surfboard indoors. Um, so we were really <laughs> right. excited to add that. That's our sandbar area, and um, and and I love it. I love it because it is the fun place, right? That's the place where people want to be. And then outside the sandbar, kind of on the sides, we have our luxury VIP boxes, so fans can be right up on the glass. And there's some other things we got coming up for that sandbar. We just weren't able to get them in. Um, for opening night, but there's going to be some other games in there. We're going to put some big lifeguard chairs where people can sit above the action. And oh, down neat! On the action yeah, too. so it's going to be real fun. Oh, yeah! I'll tell you, folks, it's worth taking a trip out to see the Riptide. Uh, you'll thoroughly enjoy it. Now, we spoke about Mr. Cosell. Colin Cosell, uh, we've had him on the show before. He's the voice of the Mets and the Brooklyn Cyclones. And as I said, Rich, he not only does a great job as, as a PA man, very creative, but he's sort of like uh, an in-game host to, to a minor league uh, ballpark and stadium, keeping the fans involved in the game. I, I, I say to Colin, I say, listen, we're not the Mets, right? In the Mets, he's the PA announcer. And there's a certain thing you gotta deal with the Mets in Major League Baseball. I get that. Yeah. Um, but I've told him from the start when I first met him, we hit it off very, very well. He was here before I got here. And, um, and I said, Colin, this is your show. Like, we're gonna, we're gonna go on the field and we're gonna play. But everything else, I want you to actually treat this like it's the Tonight Show. And I want <laughs> you to have fun. And we gave him carte blanche. He gets up out of the booth. And walks into the stands and has the fans and kids call goals, has them talk to the players and things. Perfect. Like that interaction to me is great. And, and it just so happened that we were lucky last night. We played Rochester, and his wife is from Rochester, so he had a lot of good Rochester jokes that he could play off. He did. Of that, of those things. He's funny with that. He did, Rich. And I asked him, were, were there any of those guys waiting for you at your car? Last night to, to give you a little business there. <laughs> but, uh, he, he, Colin, very entertaining is like, and like you say, Rich, he's got more of a free reign with the riptide than the Mets will ever give him. He's, he's gotta, uh, be, uh, pretty proper with Major League Baseball, but, but, uh, out at the Coliseum, he's pretty much a wild man. <laughs> we're unleashing, we're unleashing him. I said, That's it. your personality, go ahead. Like, I, I unleash him and, He's one of those guys that I've worked in this business a long time, and he's one of those guys that I could sit down and talk to and talk a little bit about the game, and then you don't worry. I know he is going to put on the best show, and I just let him go, and, that, and that's the best part about working with Colin. He's so he's, – he, the way he thinks on his feet, the way his humor is, the way he interacts with old, older people and kids and younger people, it's a special person. 
and I'm I'm very excited and very proud to have him part of our organization. Exactly, he's got the good genes there too. Uh, yes, folks, he is related to Howard Cosell. That, that's his grandson. So uh, take that to the bank, and uh, he's doing a great job with the Riptide. We're speaking with Rich Lisk, the president of the New York Riptide. Now you have a newsletter for the folks to subscribe to. Sure. Yeah, go on our website, www.newyorkriptide.com. Sign up for our newsletter. It'll give you everything to know about our organization. We really over-communicate to the fans. Um, you know, being a person that's been in, in sports my whole career, I, I like to be transparent with the fans. I want you to ask me any question you want. Mm-hmm. I, if we trade somebody that you don't like, ask. We'll tell you why. If there's something that's wrong, in the arena and, and like your, I don't know, the, the hot dog was cold or something like that, tell us, so we'll fix it. I can't fix it if I don't hear from it. So I always like to say we have an open dialogue, and part of that open dialogue is through our newsletter and, and through our instant access to us. Um, so please go on there. And, and, and sometimes you work with some, uh, some organizations don't give you that behind-the-scenes look. I'm a wide-open book. I wear, my, I wear everything right on my sleeve, so I'll be more than happy to share it with you. That's the way to be, Rich. I'll tell you now. The games are televised as well for the folks uh, who want to watch at home. Where can they find the Riptide on TV? Sure. We have a couple of different outlets. So um, we have all of our home games are broadcast on the MSG network. So it's MSG, MSG2, MSG Plus, and MSG Go. And then this year the league has signed a deal in Canada with TSN and with the uh, in the United States with ESPN. And, and we were lucky that we have three ESPN Game of the Weeks that are coming up here in the next couple of weeks, and you can catch us on ESPN2 and ESPN News. And then this year, I'm really, really excited about this. All 18 of our games are going to be uh, radio broadcast with WRHU out of, out of uh, Hofstra. Oh, nice. Yeah, Peter Schwartz, that's our uh, analyst on that. Yeah, Peter Schwartz, yeah, know him well. Now, anything else to tell us about the Riptide? Let's talk about tickets, Rich. Folks can get sure. tickets on the website uh, at the Coliseum box office. Yeah, on the website in the Coliseum box office, www.newyorkriptide.com. Um, again, we have, uh, we're going to have uh, seven more, uh, eight more home games coming up here, starting with next week, December 12th, which is our family fun extravaganza. Four tickets, four sodas, four hot dogs, four bags of chips for $99. Great. Tickets start as low as $22. And, um, and, and again, it's a place where you can come with your family. It was interesting because I kind of wear two hats. I also oversee the lacrosse side of things. So on my lacrosse side of things, last night, you know, I was a little upset. We lost in overtime, but Tough. we put on the good yeah. show, and the guys did really well. But then on my business side, I had people that were leaving, and they were like, oh, my God, I can't believe they lost, but I had such a great time. I'm coming back. Right. And I want fans to do that. I want you to catch a T-shirt. I want the guys to flip a ball to you. I want you to get an autograph. I want Eddie to come and take a picture with you. I want you to ride the surfboard, and I want you to come back and enjoy that every week. And, and we're, we're the number one tenant in the Coliseum, and we want to be Long Island team. I and mean, we're the only professional lacrosse team in Long Island, but we're going to be Long Island's team no matter what sport it is. That's a great way to look at it, Rich. I'll tell you now. Uh, as I said, you, you guys were off to a rip-roaring start last night, and I wish you nothing but the best. And what's the matter, Brian? Rip-roaring. Yeah, what's wrong with that? My <laughs> engineer is giving me that. a hard time I'm gonna, I'm over here, Rich. One, yeah. Feel one. free. Feel free. That. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Rich Lisk, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking time out Always of your Sunday pleasure. night to be with us, and I look forward to seeing you out at the barn. 
Great. I'd love to have you out again. Thank you very much for all your support. That is Rich Lisk, folks, the president of the Riptide, the New York Riptide, www.riptide.com. Well, we'll be right back, folks. Hang on. we got a special guest for you. Be right back. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more at studentaid.gov. Imagine a time when no one person has Parkinson's disease, is debilitated by a stroke, and no family suffers the tragedy of Alzheimer's. Some of the best minds in America are doing more than imagining. The American Brain Foundation is seeking to find cures. Where life without brain disease isn't just something we can imagine, it's something we can know. Join Kevin Sorbo in the fight to cure brain disease. For more information, visit AmericanBrainFoundation.org. All right, folks, we are back with Sports Talk New York here on WGBB here in beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island. Well, we have a special guest tonight. We're privileged to, to bring him to you. He is number 24 in your scorecard, number one in your hearts, folks. 1969, Miracle New York Met, Art Shamsky. Art, good evening. Bill, it's always great to be with you. Oh, it's a pleasure having you, especially, Art, on this special, special night. They're having a great time in New York. They're having a great time in Brooklyn and out in Indiana where our, our man hails from. Gil Hodges has been elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Let's talk about that, Art. How did you were you watching the uh, the the uh, the show on MLB? I was because I knew it was uh, the voting was today that the committee was meeting today, and I had had some conversation with Gil Hodges Jr. and we talked about this situation. You know, the family's been going through this for so many years. Right, you know, Gil was was up for um, uh, election almost 35 times over the years and has more votes for getting into the Hall of Fame than anybody who hasn't been inducted. I mean, he just uh, came so close so many times. And I'm just really happy for the family. And I've been in contact with a number of my teammates from the 69 Mets, and everybody is so excited about it because we all feel like we were had a little part in, 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 in this whole scenario of events. But I'm really happy for Mrs. Hodges, Gil Jr., and the family, and and uh, it's well deserved. You know, he had a great career as a player, and mm-hmm. and uh, his, his his managerial uh, uh, situation with winning the World Series with us in 1969, and and the way he conducted himself on and off the field, I, the criteria for him to be in the Hall of Fame was 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 certainly there, and I I'm just really happy for him and the fa- his family and and everybody. It's really pulled hard for him to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. I mean, people may not realize, Art, uh, he's n- not only a great baseball man, a great family man, a great man. Let's leave it at that. He, he was a United States Marine. I believe he served at Okinawa. And, uh, just a tremendous story there. And as you say, Art, I'm just so happy that Irene Hodges, uh, w- was around to see it because as we know, Gil di- didn't, uh, see himself elected. His wife, Thank God that she was able to see it. I'd just like to ask you if you know Art, 
Will Gil Jr. be giving the speech in Cooperstown this summer? Well, I can't imagine anybody else. But, right. But who knows? Uh, I, I know. I know. Gil was uh, was uh, this conversation I had with him last week was was so pertinent in this whole thing because he's been through this ups and downs of this voting and he came so close so many times and and I just don't know at this point who will be giving a speech but I'm just so happy that it's going to finally happen. Uh, Mrs. Hodges is uh, I think 95 years old now and and uh, thankfully uh, God willing she was able to get this news and and. Um, you know, it's just a wonderful thing for, for New Yorkers, for Mets fans, uh, for baseball in general. Like you said, he had a great, uh, uh, he was just a great person. Uh, I never saw him uh, turn down an autograph. He was such a great baseball person. Uh, really was a catalyst for us winning the World Series. We would not have won without Gil Hodges as our manager. And uh, uh, I just, again, I'm so thankful that I was part of that team, part of his life in some small way, because I think it's just a, it's, it's a tribute to the family and him and the fact that he's going to be going in the Hall of Fame, I think it's to their credit now that they're going to have a wonderful uh, a person there, another name to be uh, a credit to the whole Hall of Fame family. I, I agree, Art, 100 percent. There are some folks in the Hall of Fame that really weren't nice guys. I mean, <laughs> you have some scoundrels in there, but th this is somebody that they can be proud of uh, going through the portals of uh, the Hall of Fame. And, and like you said, Art, each one of you guys – has a little piece of this in their heart that, that they can, uh, take with you. I know Ron Swoboda probably is feeling great. Eddie Crane Pool, uh, the one man I wished that could have seen this, a man who, who really revered Gil Hodges was Tom Seaver. Well, of course, they had a special relationship, both being Marines and, and, uh, it was more like a father-son relationship. And, uh, uh, you know, we lost uh, a great person in Tom, uh, a while back, but, and Gil so many years ago, uh, but, uh, you know, I think all of us who were part of that team, all of us who are still around, we're so thankful that we were able to, to, to share these moments, uh, this particular moment, because I think all of us were so happy that it finally happened. We were frustrated over the years. Uh, uh, he certainly deserved it. If you look at some of his, his stats, they're comparable to a number of guys in the Hall of Fame. And um, his body of work and the criteria that I think is important to the Hall of Fame is certainly there. And I think that Gil uh, should have been in it a long time ago, but that's besides the fact now he's going to be in it now, and I think that's the most important thing. And all New Yorkers should be proud of it, no matter if you're, what kind of baseball fan you are. The fact that he's getting in the Hall of Fame, I think, is very, very special. I, I know, I believe that the Hall of Fame chooses what cap the player will wear now uh, because of certain situations in the past. I wonder who the, they'll pick, a Met cap or a Brooklyn Dodger cap. What, what do you well, think? Well, you know, he made his <laughs> career as a player with the Dodgers. Right. I think, uh, there's that that particular team was uh, that era of Dodger uh, team was such a great team. Unfortunately, overshadowed because of the great Yankee teams. But but uh, he was part of that that wonderful group of guys from Campanella to Snyder to Ferrillo to Jackie Robinson to Pee Wee Reese. Uh, all those the guys are I idolized them as a kid growing up in St. Louis, watching them uh, play the Cardinals all the time. And when I got a chance to meet them at Old Timers Day, and then of course playing for Gill was very special for me. Um, he he was a tough, tough, uh, stern disciplinarian. But the fact is, he he managed the game in such a way that he he knew what was going to happen a couple innings ahead of time. He got everybody involved on the team, and I think that's really the 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 the, the, the story about the '69 mess: the fact that everybody contributed something to that team. And I think that's really because of the way Gill managed. 
As you mentioned, Art, uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers, they're really a storied ball club, as you, as you mentioned, from Campanella to Jackson, uh, Jackie Robinson, Carl Farillo, Pee Wee Reese, the captain, uh, just a, a lovable, bunch of ball players who were also highly accomplished and I, I think Ebbets Field had to do with that in some way because of the proximity uh of the players to the ball players in in, in that intimate old ballpark no longer with us now in Brooklyn. But certainly uh those guys uh taking great pride in Gil going in. I know I saw online that uh, somebody had mentioned to Carl Erskine about Gill's election, I believe Carl is is the only uh, member of that bunch that's still with us. But uh, Carl Erskine had to be proud uh, to to have Gill finally go go in. And as you said, Art, he mentioned that a piece of him went in too. And uh, if you you would, Art, in the last couple of minutes, do you have a favorite story about Gill Hodges that you can tell us? Well, I, I I don't have a favorite story because because he was uh, he was just a terrific manager. But but as I mentioned before, he was a tough disciplinarian. And right. I always I used to tell people that uh, you know he'd have very few meetings, but when he got mad, which was on rare occasions, you could see that the veins of his neck would start to, to pop out. And, oh man! And when you shook his hand, his fingers were so his hands were so big, his fingers would come up all the way up your wrist. But <laughs> I always felt that if I walked by his office before a game and and, um, and I knew the door was closed, something was going on in there, something maybe not too good for somebody. But if the door was open and I walked by and he didn't call me in, I was already ahead in the game. So I always looked at that as a, as a, as a special thing for me. But I, I really enjoyed playing for him. I'm, I'm honored to be part of that team for many reasons, but because I, I got a chance to, to, to play under him and watch him uh, and really lead us into victory. We, we finished ninth, a half game out of last place. In 1968, nobody thought we were ever going to do anything more than that the next year, and all of a sudden we win the World Series. And very simply, early in the spring training in 69, he said, you know, you guys lost a lot of games by one run. If you can find ways to win close games, and that, not, not necessarily two to one, one to nothing, three to two, but eight to seven, ten to nine, find ways to win that those games. And he was right. And we started to find ways to win. We knew how to lose back in 68 and early 69, mm-hmm. but he taught us how to win. And that was really the key success to the 69 Mets and turned out to be one of the great stories in baseball history. And, and uh, I'm really happy that uh, he's now getting credit for that and his wonderful baseball career because he certainly deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. One word, Art. Amazing. That's <laughs> that's all I have to say. And uh, I thank you for taking some time out of your night, Art, to to spend it with us here and to to really take a look at uh, your experience, your career with Gil Hodges. Now that he's a Hall of Famer, I appreciate you coming on, Art. Uh, Bill, you're the best. Thank you so much. You thank take you. care. You too. Well, that'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Bob Clappish, Rich Lisk, and, of course, the great Art Chamsky, my engineer, Brian Graves, and, of course, you folks for joining us. Thanks so much. See you on the radio next Sunday, December 12th, with author Arthur Staple, a new book on the Islanders, and Mr. Islander will be aboard with us, Bob Nystrom. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.